I'm attempting something in this hour, and it's going to be, my plan is more of a, a teaching time, not going to try to uh, not launch into a preaching mode, but um, because this is a subject that is, it's a rather big subject, and as the in the bulletin it says an overview, and that's what my goal is, is to give an overview of the subject of uh, the fear of the Lord, uh, the fear, fear God, fear the Lord. And let me just, in by way of introduction, mention a couple of things that uh, this is something that um, I haven't just recently considered, and I assume some of you have not just recently thought about it either. Uh, it is something that, oh, in fact, if you read the Bible, you can't just recently have thought about this because it's all over Scripture. And so, you know, the the... Uh, the word itself, fear, is found in the Old Testament uh, well over 400 times, used in various contexts. Uh, it is used in relationship to God, to men, to circumstances. It is most commonly used in reference to God. And uh, the word, depending on the use, it means to be afraid or to revere or to be in awe. And in the New Testament, well, there is another Hebrew word, actually, that is used that uh, it's less common. And the idea of that word actually is the idea of trembling or some kind of visible impact of fear. And, and an example of that would be Job 3.25, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. So that that's the idea. That isn't so much uh, fear in relationship to God. It's just that which he feared. It greatly feared is a translation of actually two Hebrew words that um, this less common Hebrew word, and it has the idea of a visible manifestation, uh, an actual trembling idea. And then in, in the Greek, the New Testament, the word is for, that is translated fear, the noun and the verb, is used over 100 times, and it just simply means alarm, fright, dread, terror, and it's used in different ways and uh, different contexts. Now, let me just say this, that we have to guard against um, a selective uh, rendering, a selective quotation of scriptures. I think all of us know that any of us can prove any point if we want to by taking selective quotes from scripture. And by the way, selective quotes of people. It's interesting to me as I've studied various subjects recently how that folks who stand on this side will quote an author and those who stand on this side will quote the same author and say, see, they, they agree with me. And it's we, we, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't try to pit truth against one another like that. And we shouldn't try to pit scripture against one another. We should try, and this, this is where, where the struggle has been for me, and I assume it's the struggle for anybody who has an honest desire to know God and an honest desire to come to conclusions that are biblical, is to read all that God says and to grow in that understanding. And it does take time. Now, uh, what you may know right now about the fear of the Lord may be something that you uh, that you will grow in. Uh, maybe something that is different from what you used to think about the fear of the Lord. And that's okay so long as your growth is in the light of Scripture, because it's the entrance of Scripture that brings light. And that's what we want. We want, I, I'm going to tell you at the outset that I have read a number of uh, authors. And the one that I most 
recently read is called Michael Reeves' Rejoice and Tremble. And it is, I recommend it to you. But I also recommend uh, Mr. Spurgeon's sermon that's a lot shorter read. And actually, Michael Reeves quotes from that sermon quite a lot. And it's called A Fear to be Desired. A Fear to be Desired by, <clears throat> by Spurgeon. And then there's another well-known work that Michael Reese quotes from a lot as well, and others have referred to, and it's simply t- entitled The Fear of God by John Bunyan. And that one's a little harder to work through, um, and I worked through that about five years ago. Uh, and it was helpful, but I think some things have become more clear in my mind over the past five years. <clears throat> so... I'm saying all of that to say that some of the thoughts you'll hear this morning, some of them will actually be quotations or at least um, my evaluation of what some of the other brothers have said in relationship to the fear of the Lord. I'm being transparent with you about that. Uh, fear not is the most frequent command of God to his people in Scripture. Did you know that? Fear not. I didn't know that till someone said it. Fear not. And essentially what God is saying when he says fear not is fear me. Don't fear them. Whatever them is, whatever the alternative is, don't fear the circumstances. Don't fear anyone else. Fear me. A holy fear, and I'll call it a holy fear. Uh, There are other ways of calling it godly fear. But I'll call it a holy fear because as we will see, there is what I would say... An ungodly, which is what John Bunyan calls it, an ungodly fear or an unholy fear. But a holy fear enables us to live without a debilitating fear of man or circumstances or the future or anything else. As we know him, fear him and trust him, we have no cause for worry or for fear. Right. We sing that. And that's why, because we we have this proper fear of God. So the, the fear of the Lord is clearly to be a significant part of every believer's life and is a good posture. It's a right posture that when rightly understood affects us in a good way, not a negative way. Um, God's purpose toward us is not to drive us away with fear. That is not what this fear is about, to drive us away. You can't you can't find that in Scripture. Uh, it's 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 always the purpose is it doesn't always work that way. The purpose is to bring us toward him, as we'll try to uh, emphasize along the way here. So you have the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9. It's the beginning. It's foundational. The fear of the Lord. So it's important to understand what it is. Proverbs 14, 27. And by the way, I'm going to be quoting a lot of scripture here uh, this morning. But the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 14, 27. That's a good thing. Fountain of life. It prolongs days. Proverbs 10, 27. It leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Proverbs 19, 23. So there's clearly something about this fear that is not all terror and dread or trembling in the sense of terror and dread, scared to death kind of fear. In fact, Isaiah prophesied of the coming Messiah. 
in Isaiah 11 and verse 3. Listen to this. Prophesying of the rod from the stem of Jesse and branch to grow, grow out of his roots. This is what he said about Jesus. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. It's a delightful thing. It's not something, a dreaded thing. Your, his delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, etc. And then Proverbs 28.14, happy is the man that feareth always. Happy is the man. And what follows, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. So as is often in in the Hebrew language, there are these counterbalances, you know, these uh, opposites that are expressed, particularly in Proverbs. So happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart. So what's the opposite in that proverb of fearing? Hardening. He that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. And so we're going to overview this idea of what it means to fear the Lord. And I hope this is going to be helpful. I hope it will encourage you to search the scriptures yourself. There's no way that we can look at all the scriptures where there are pertinent references that, that deal with this subject. But we're going to survey many of them as the points are being made. And I've written these, these, uh, I've had, you know, the references are typed out here so we don't have to, I'm not going to turn to them all. And, um, I am happy to send these references to you, uh, if you want them to look them up later. So first thing is that there is an afraid fear that is generated by a sense of threat. Especially knowing that you are at odds with God. And it does have something to do with your view of God, but it's that you are at odds with this God that you are viewing. Adam felt this in Genesis chapter three, verses nine and ten. The Lord God called unto Adam and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. Like a child being caught by his parent. He was afraid. And that's a proper afraid. But I would add this, that while death resulted from Adam's sin, as God promised, God's mercy immediately demonstrated, was demonstrated in promising a seed and clothing Adam and Eve. You recall that. So, so right out of the gate, there is this afraidness, which was proper. But then there was this mercy of God that came. David felt this afraidness after God in anger struck Uzzah in first Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 12. David was afraid of God that day. Saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? Once again, two verses later. You find God blessing the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had with that very same ark, the mercy of God being shown. Even in the midst of a striking of Uzzah and a legitimate response of being afraid because of what happened. 
But again, the, the goal wasn't to drive David away or to drive Israel away. But in order, but to, but to bring them unto himself in a proper way. Well, there is a terrifying kind of fear of God that has often been stirred in the enemies of God by which he preserves his covenant people. I'll give you one example. Genesis 20 and verse 8. I'll not quote the verse, but that's the account where Abimelech uh, had taken Sarah. You know, Abraham lied and he took Sarah. And uh, God appeared to him and warned him. And this is, and, and in Genesis 20 and verse 8, it says that Abimelech and his men were very much afraid. And they didn't, they didn't follow through with that which they could have followed through with, but God put a fear there. There was an afraidness of God that kept them from doing what they otherwise might have done. And so I would suggest to you, there ought to be an afraid fear in anyone who is in rebellion against God. That is, if you are in rebellion against God, there ought to be an afraid fear. There ought to be a terrifying fear of God's judgment in an unrepentant heart. There ought to be an afraid fear of God among the nations of people who have judgment pronounced upon them. And these are things that you see unfolded through Scripture. Jeremiah 10.10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure His indignation. So that is something that shouldn't be hidden from the nations. Sadly, the world in general has no fear of God. And what's the result of that? Psalm 36, and you know, um, Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 3, but in Psalm 36, verses 1 through 4, an oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes. When he finds out his iniquity and when he hates so when he engages in sin and he hates, he flatters himself in his own eyes. There's no fear of God. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He doesn't fear God. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. To have no fear of God is to be casual. To be careless, to be indifferent, to be unimpressed and unaffected. It's really the spirit that God is irrelevant. Or perhaps even that God affirms me in my choices and, and loves me as I am in my sin, as I continue in my unrepentant sin. If you acknowledge God at all, you create a God in your mind that cancels out this idea of fear in order to open up the gateway for your sinful life. Lying to yourself that there are no consequences, that God, God will not bring any judgment upon you. 
Sadly, that's where much of our world is in relationship to their knowledge of God. Not only the world, but also churches. Paul said in the context of the coming judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, he said, knowing the terror, or that word is the New Testament word for fear, Knowing, therefore, knowing the terror, some translations say knowing the reverence or the awe, it really is fear. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We know what, we know what's coming. We know the judgment that's coming. And then two verses later in verse, or wait, three, maybe three verses later in verse 14, he said, it is the love of Christ that compels us with a message, not just a message of condemnation, but a message of, of hope for sinners who are presently under God's wrath in their sin. But why preach that message? If, they're, if, they're, if, if, if no one is in trouble, why, what is it that motivates us to sound forth a warning and to... And to tell of this, of this, of this God who is a God of compassion, forgiveness. It is the knowledge that He is going to hold you accountable. So there is an afraid fear that is right, that is biblical which is generated in a heart that is either in rebellion to God or does not know the love of God in his soul. God makes it clear to us, and there's just too many verses to deny this. He makes it clear to us, and this is really important, it is not safe to run from God. Over and over and over again, the judgment portions of Scripture are not given simply as an announcement of judgment. Now, the, now we, could, we could talk about other reasons, but one of the primary reasons in particular in relationship to His covenant people is return to Me. Turn to Me. It's not safe to run from Me. It's safe to come to Me. And he has given multiple warnings in Scripture. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It it is. It is a fearful thing to fall. And and that that Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10 is said on the heels of, of a warning against those who are trampling underfoot the blood of Christ, who have who have who've walked away. And it's as if the the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't! Stop! Stop! Come back! Come back! He is good and ready to forgive, and He's abundant in mercy to all those who call upon Him. Psalm 31, 19, oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. And that is not a fear that drives folks away from God, but to God, into his goodness. You see, 
Which leads me to this second major point, and these are the two ideas of the fear of God in Scripture. There is a godly fear or a holy fear that is not a fear of terror or dread. I did have in my own heart recently that that sense of I when, whenever whenever you have this sense of of you know can I continue there ought to be a fear in your heart I don't don't let me go oh love that will not let me go there's a sense of a of a fear there I don't want to whom shall I go that's an expression of a fear of the Lord. Not a cavalier. Well, I would never do that. That's what Peter said. But the Lord prayed for him because the Lord loved him. And of course, that's our hope, isn't it? But brethren, the Spirit has not given the believer a spirit of bondage to fear. Romans 8.15. So that means something. By the way, that's the text that John Bunyan used to as sort of the basis for the book that he wrote. In other words, there is a, a spirit of bondage in a fear before conversion, before one is born again. But when you are born again, you are not given the spirit of bondage to fear. The fear of the Lord that exists in the child of God is not a fear of terror. It is the fear of the new covenant. Jeremiah 32, 38 through 41. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever. That's the new covenant. For the good of them, not for their evil, not to hurt them, for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from doing them good. These are those who fear the Lord. But I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my so, amazing words. And Paul, after stating new covenant blessings in Second Corinthians chapter 6, at the end of the chapter, he begins chapter 7 and verse 1, which really goes with chapter 6. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, which is I'll be your God, you'll be my people, I, I'm with you. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That that is a relationship with this one who is with me. That affects me. John Gill, commenting on Proverbs 28, 14, happy is the man that fears always. He said this about this fear. Nor is a servile fear of God intended. That is, I'm just a slave. Now, 
The Bible does use the word slave, bond slave, in our relationship to God, but it's not that same sense of just, I'm just hunkering down and doing what I've got to do kind of slavery. It is a bondage, but I would, I would use the word glorious bondage, or maybe holy bondage, but it's a glorious bondage. It's a relationship, nor is a servile fear of God intended, a fear of wrath and damnation, or a distrust of His grace, a continual calling in question His love, and an awful apprehension of His displeasure and vengeance. For in such fear is torment, and with it a man can never be happy. But it is a reverence and godly fear, a filial one, a fear of God and His goodness, which he puts into the hearts of his people, a fear indeed of offending him, of sinning against him, by which a man departs from evil and forsakes it, as well as confesses it, but is what arises from a sense of his goodness. An overwhelming sense of his goodness. If you do not know God to be holy, love, And I'm getting more and more where I like to attach the word holy before just about everything I say about God. Because there are so many distortions to just about everything people say about God. Holy clears up that distortion if holy is properly understood. And and again, that's a big word. But if you do not know God to be holy love and good, and you only know Him as Holy perfection and holy just anger. If that's all you know Him. Or maybe that's your leading thought of Him. But if that's how you know Him most, you likely will experience a kind of foreboding terror that drives you away from Him. And an unbelief that hesitates to respond to his call to repentance and faith. Because you think you could never measure up to earn his love. And you're thinking, that's what I've got to do. That's why there's so many religions of works that are based upon works. Trying to work your way into the favor of God, into the love of God. I've got to somehow, I've got to, I've got to be worthy of that love. A sense of needing to earn his favor. Brothers and sisters, I believe that every, every single one of us wrestle with this. I know I do. And I suppose we will to the day we die. But see, this is, this is, I think, if we understand this fear correctly, this is one of the things that helps to combat that. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you're depending upon your works to earn favor with God, you ought to be afraid. Perhaps. Maybe that's not the best thing to say. But you certainly need to clear up your understanding of God. Godly fear is not like this. Godly fear is the expression of a transformed, circumcised heart. Remember the New Covenant? That is overwhelmed at the goodness of God. That would turn 
away his just anger against you. You see, you understand who you are by nature. You understand the sinner you are. You understand that you were at enmity with God. You understand who you were. And you understand what you rightly and justly deserve before this God who is love. You, you know you don't deserve really to be at all to be counted as part of his family. But he has come to you in his goodness. He did what no man could do. He loved you. Turned away his just anger against you. And received you on no other basis but his love that satisfied his justice. Psalm 85, 9 and 10. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. In the Lord Jesus Christ. There's where it all comes together. Godly fear produces devotion to God. Whom you have come to know and love. He means more to you than any thing else. There is no God like our God is the mindset of this fear. No God like you. And so when, when God, even in the Old Testament, I shouldn't say even, when God in the Old Testament warned against idolatry and the consequences of idolatry, He was saying He wasn't just pronouncing some sort of afraid fear or terror upon his people. He was saying, if you go in that direction, you are separating yourself from divine goodness. You're separating yourself from me, your only hope. And you're moving in the direction of being, of receiving my judgment. And that's what you see all through Scripture. So the idea of this fear is actually to move us toward God, not away. Note in Scripture what the fear of the Lord is linked to and evidenced by. You can do your own study on this, but let me just, let me just give you an overview here. The fear of the Lord is linked to love toward God. So fear, fundamentally, fear of God and love to God are joined together. That you know, I, I really, I really don't like this idea that you know this is the same thing as that. It's kind of like if this is the same thing as that, then why not just say one thing? And so, so sometimes we do that, you know. And yet, and yet, when God expresses something about Himself, He's not saying this is the same thing as that. He's saying this is true and this is true. At the same time, you see fear and love brought together so that you have to conclude that the one cannot be separated from the other, though they may be distinct, distinguished, they can't be separated from one another. And so the fear of the Lord is linked to love toward God. Psalm 145, 19 and 20, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him. So he says, 
back to back here, those who fear him, those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And those are those who do not fear him and do not love him. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through five. I'm not going to read all the verses, but he says, now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you. That you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God. To keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. And then he keeps going down to verse five. He says, you shall love the Lord your God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, you see, this idea of fearing the Lord is not separated from loving the Lord your God. And by the way, God did not give the law to drive people away. In Exodus 20, I know there were some fearful things that occurred on the mountain because of who God is. And we are sinners. And we don't have access in ourselves. We need a mediator. We need a Savior. And God is the redeeming God and He is the Savior. And that's what the Scriptures show to us. But in Exodus 20, listen to this, verses 18 through 20. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. You know what Moses said to him? Verse 20, do not fear. Interesting. Do not fear, for God has come to test you. And that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. God does not, did not, does not want his people going after sin. He doesn't want you going in the way of trouble. He doesn't want you moving away from him. He wants you loving him. He wants you in obedience to him, which is the expression of your love. He wants that. Because that's the good place. That's the, that's the happy place. That's the joyful place. Not, not simply because of what you're doing, but because of the relationship you have with Him, you see. And so this is filial fear. Spurgeon said, this is the sort of fear which has in it the very essence of love. And without which there would be no joy, even in the presence of God. Spurgeon furthermore said, it's not because we are afraid of him, but because we delight in him that we fear before him. Thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, says the prophet Isaiah 60 and verse 5. Thine heart shall fear and be enlarged. 
And so it comes to pass with us, Spurgeon says, the more we fear the Lord, the more we love Him, until this becomes to us the true fear of God, to love Him with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. Interesting. Michael Reeves said, right fear does not stand in tension with love for God. Right fear does not stand in tension. It's not, it's not, yeah, you should love, you should love God, but you should also fear Him. That's not the idea. A proper love for God cannot be divorced from a proper fear, and a proper fear cannot be divorced from a proper love. Right fear, I'm quoting here again, right fear falls on its face before the Lord, but falls leaning toward the Lord. True fear of God is true love for God defined. It is the right response to God's full-orbed revelation of Himself in all His grace and glory. And that, that's from the book Trembling and or rejoicing and trembling. Secondly, the fear of the Lord is linked to an evidence by fear of fear. Excuse me, joy. The fear of the Lord is linked to joy. It, it is not. It's not the other side. It's not joy and then there's fear. They come together. Holy fear does. O Lord, Nehemiah one eleven. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attended to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire or delight to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. And so as... As Nehemiah or any of us delight to fear the name of the Lord, we can go even before a king and not fear the king. Because our delight is in the fear of the Lord. Psalm 2 verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice. You don't separate fear and rejoicing, fear and joy. If if joy is being zapped by your idea of fear, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And it may be that you are in an unrepentant, a rebellious state, and you ought to have that afraid fear. But if you're a believer, and even if you're not, there's no reason for you to stay there as you come to God, as you as the prodigal, the prodigal returned to his father and he wasn't beat up. Did he? I just told somebody recently and I and I said it with emotion. I said, you can come back. You can come back. Jesus gave us the prodigal account, didn't he? He gave that to us. And if you come back with that heart of repentance, what you find is a father that receives you joyfully. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Matthew 28, 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Fear and great joy are, are linked together there. 
overwhelmed by what they were seeing, probably perhaps even confused, but hearing this announcement that well, Jesus had, had, had appeared, he, he's alive. Fear and great joy mixed. Michael Reeves says this right fear of God then is not the minor key, gloomy flip side to proper joy in God. There is no tension between this fear and joy. Rather, this trembling fear of God is a way of speaking about the sheer intensity of the saints happiness in God. In other words, the biblical theme of the fear of God helps us to see the sort of joy that is most fitting for believers. Our desire for God and delight in Him are not intended to be lukewarm, but fervent. And so I think we can call it a holy joy. Number three, fear of the Lord is evidenced in the, in, in delight to do His will. It's evidenced in a delight to do His will. Psalm 112 and Verse 1, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in His commandments. When our hearts are overwhelmed by the revelation we receive in our souls through the Word of the beauty of our God in all that is attributed to Him and made known to us in His Son and in our salvation, we do not find His commandments burdensome. But we, as the Son, we're in Him, and 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 we 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 we're becoming like Him, right? And He delighted to do the will of God. That's what's going to happen with us. We're all in. God is more important to us than all else combined. So where this is, where there is. A life of disobedience and believers, we can go there. We can we can get off the path where there is this disobedience. We we can be assured there's a lack of this godly, holy fear. It doesn't mean we're lost. I mean, we're not. It doesn't mean we're not saved. We may not be, but it doesn't mean that. But it means we need to come back to a proper fear of God, a love for Him, seeing Him as He is. And then, the fourth thing, this will be the last thing, fear of the Lord is evidenced in trust or the exercise of faith. In other words, we trust Him whom we fear. We trust Him. That's the relationship we have with Him. Hebrews 11 and verse 7, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. Prepared an ark for the saving of his house. He believed God. That's what fear does. Fear believes God. Fear of God. Proper fear of God. Doesn't run from God. It believes God. It moves toward him. And whatever he says, you, you, you do that because you trust him. That, that's fear of God. Not because you're afraid of the consequences if you don't. But because you trust Him. That's proper fear. There is an afraid fear. That has to do with consequences. But a godly fear doesn't really need that motivation 
of afraid fear. Because there's a holy fear, a godly fear, a sight of God that is moving you to trust Him. Psalm 115.11, you, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The fear of the Lord is our response to what we see in our triune God. And taking these I'm closing here with this paragraph that I'm reading from Mr. Reeves' book. He said, it's the response, this fear of the Lord is the response to all that we see in the beautiful perfections of God. It is not that some of His attributes cause us to love and enjoy Him, while others cause us to flinch. As Stephen Sharnock explains, nothing of God looks terrible in Christ to a believer. The sun is risen, Sharnock says. Shadows are vanished. God walks upon the battlements of love. Justice hath left its sting in a Savior's side. Oh, that's quite a statement. Justice has left its sting in the Savior's side. Not in yours, in mine. Those who are in Christ. The law is disarmed. Weapons out of His hand. His bosom open. His bowels yearn. His heart pants. Sweetness and love is in all His carriage. And this is life eternal. To know God believingly in the glories of His mercy and justice in Jesus Christ. End quote. Those, those are words of Sharnot that Reeves quotes. I know that this survey is not going to answer every single question you might have, but I hope it will be a help to you as you ponder this important subject that God has revealed much to us about. And let us pray more consistently. One of my prayers, it's been for a while now, is Psalm 86 and verse 11. Unite my heart to fear your name. Make my heart single in its devotion to you. Unite my heart. And in fact, I've asked God to help me, to teach me more and more clearly what it means. To fear the Lord. Because we can talk about it. And by the way, we can define it. We can write books on it. And still not fear the Lord. So we need the Spirit of Christ, don't we? We need the Spirit of God to bring us. Bring us into that living, vital relationship. It's called a vital union. That we might see Him. And respond to Him. In a way. That is honoring to Him. And so, Father, I pray that You would help us as we 